0: Hello friends, welcome to or welcome back to a Runner's Life podcast. In this episode, I speak to Rose Harvey. She ran the Seville Marathon in a personal best of 2 hours, 27 minutes and 20 seconds to become the 10th fastest Brit in history. She achieved a World Championships qualifying time and UK Athletics has announced that she will be one of the athletes selected to run this summer's World Athletics Championships. So to give you a little bit of a background to her marathon running history, in 2018, she ran the London Marathon in three hours and four minutes. She then went on to run the Cheshire Elite Marathon in 2021 in two hours, 30 minutes. Then moved on to London 2021, running two hours and 29 minutes. And then obviously to Seville where she ran 227. And she's been coached by Phil Kissy of the Clapham Chasers. Alongside trading at an elite level, we talk about how she juggles working part-time and thank you to everyone that submitted questions. But in this conversation, we talk about the build up to Seville, some of the training. We also talk about some of the setbacks that happened before the race. We talk about mindset and crucially, we talk about the race going through it. And one of the things that I hope to show in these kind of episodes is that although people may look at elite athletes and put them on this massive pedestal, they have challenging moments during the race as well. And there's one funny experience which Rose talks about during the race. And a staple of the show is we talk about how to reframe failure. And how to relook at that we talk about some examples that are pertinent to her before we get into the show i just want to say a big thank you to my patrons who help support the show i also want to thank tracksmith who are sponsoring this episode please stay tuned to my social media channels over the coming weeks because i'm going to be sharing an exciting project which i'm going to be working on with tracksmith for and not only is it for me but it's also for the community who can get involved Blacksmith have just released a new collection for the Spring range, which has brought some updated colours to the existing range. For example, the Sea Pine colour for the Harriet T is something I'm looking forward to trying out. Okay, with well, that being said, let's head to the conversation with Rose. Hi Rosie, welcome to A Runner's Life podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm very good, thank you. How are you?
0: Yeah, doing really well, thank you. I'm really buzzing to speak with you today, especially after a, an amazing result in Seville. We're going to get on to that, but the question I always ask at the start of the conversation is what does a runner's life mean to you?
1: I mean, I feel like there are so many facets to my runner's life and I guess it's kind of meant different things to me at different times. Yeah, I mean, it's about the community, you know, it's been previously when I started, it was really a cut off from work to meet people, um, to de-stress. And then I guess over the last couple of years, it's sort of morphed into being more about chasing my dreams and you know pushing myself mentally and physically to see how far I can get, and just taking a whole load of incredible opportunities that have come my way, so yeah, I mean, I feel like running has given me given me so much in in kind of so many aspects of my life
0: It's really cool that you talk about kind of the aspect of people around you and pushing yourself as well and I want to get onto that in a following question, but I'm going to hold that because first I've got the audience questions. So the first question is from Lewis and he ran a 250 PB in Seville and he asked a similar question to Georgina, which I've kind of grouped together. So basically what were the main challenges that you have had to kind of overcome from your first marathon to running 227 and what has been some sort of the key areas that you can think of for progression?
1: First of all, well done Lewis on the PB, um, great time and I think... I sw- well, from my from my first marathon, I mean, um, that was London. I did like a three, 3.04, I think. Just dealing with getting to grips with kind of the increased training volume, which when, I mean, when I ran 3.04, I was, I was running very casually. I was doing like 40 miles a week. And it's been, over the last couple of years, it's been a pretty sharp increase in, in volume and sessions. And I think just kind of, Learning to adapt to that and keeping injury free, so so yeah I think kind of from a physical point of view that's that's been the the biggest challenge and the biggest change really just having those like bigger sessions the bigger mileage, and really the consistency of sessions because when i was when I was running more uh, recreationally um i <laughs> You know, if it was raining, I wouldn't go to a session, (laughs) whereas now (laughs) I have to turn up. So, um, yeah, that's that's really been the biggest change, I'll say. And I suppose also just. Yeah, I mean, it's a very different mental game now. I think it's just, yeah, it's got to be it's a different focus. I guess there is a bit more pressure to it. So dealing with that as well. But yeah, it's it's felt like a, a very quick journey for me.
0: Is that pressure from yourself or just external pressures from media, other people's expectations?
1: It's a bit of both, really. I think mostly mostly it's from myself, but also it's, it's just the, I feel like I've got so many people supporting me now. Um, you know, I've got an incredible team around me. I've got my coach who puts so much into my training. I've got all my teammates who also, you know, put so much into helping me you know matt and nick who pays me for seville all the other guys who like come down to the sessions and and will pays me in sessions physios you know support from i'm very lucky to have incredible support from england athletics so i think you know all that support is amazing and i'm i'm hugely grateful for it but i think that it does it does in a way put some pressure on it because I feel like I want to, you know, I want to perform for other people as well, rather than just just for myself.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting point because, you know, like you're saying, you want to perform well for them because, you know, the effort they've put into it as well. But then you also have to kind of forget it. And then it really is about you and especially on the day because that's generally what you're thinking about. You've got to move your legs. You've got to move yourself through space to get to the finish line.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And, you know, I think at the end of the day, you have to remind yourself that as long as you give your 100% and give it your best shot, you know, if it, if worst case scenario, it doesn't, it doesn't go well, none of those people are going to turn around and be angry with you or be upset. Like, as long as you can say you've done your best, then that's, that's what it's all about. But yeah, of course, you know, you do want you do want to be able to kind of give them the good result
0: yeah and you've spoken about this the importance of having a good support system around you like your coach phil and you've got an incredible stable of runners around you as well so that must like give you such a boost especially in the build up to training and even post race as well
1: yeah definitely i mean i couldn't do it without them um it's i mean i think normally i'm I'm the sort of person who kind of thinks they can do things everything by themselves but um but yeah i I am totally convinced i could there's no way I would even make it to the start line without everyone around me i mean especially my coach i I definitely wouldn't have wouldn't have got where i where I am today
0: yeah the people around us definitely help make things you know easier in some aspects as well i was just thinking about a post you put on recently and you spoke about just the learnings that you've had from your three marathon blocks so far and in this one you said a great lesson was for not over analyzing every single split and just not worrying about when it's not going 100% to plan can you talk a little bit about that
1: yeah so when I mean I've <laughs> three marathon blocks I feel like each one is just you know such a huge learning curve at this stage <laughs> but I think what I when i when I was training for for London in October it was actually a really really good training block and my sessions were really good had kind of no hiccups at all and then when i when I was training for Seville it actually to be honest wasn't wasn't the best block and I think i especially in comparison to london which was which was so good it really it was a pretty rocky start for me I had First of all, I had a bit of a hamstring niggle that it was only a few days and didn't really materialize into anything, but had like a couple of days off. And then straight after that, I got COVID over Christmas. And so that was kind of two weeks of not great training. And and to be honest, it was just, you know, Christmas, winter. I just got into a bit of a training rut, I think. And um, it was only really then then we went out to spain on a training camp and i think it was it was kind of then that uh, i suddenly kicked into motion and um found my mojo again but you know by that time it was like 6 weeks out from seville so i remember actually just before i went out to seville i called my coach and i was like i don't think i'm going to do seville i'm not going to get fit in time you know let's just aim for aim for a later marathon and and Phil, <laughs> Phil was just kind of battered me off. and was like, oh, we'll we'll talk about it later. And then just yeah, just kept training with everyone and kind of found my mojo back in Spain. And suddenly, sessions started going really well. But it did feel like a really short block. Looking back, I I kind of fell into the trap of comparing a lot of my sessions to London ones. But what I didn't really take into account was. With the Seville block, I was actually doing a lot more mileage than I was with London, just because I'm trying to kind of build up my mileage quite gradually. And so, so yeah, so I was adding a few more miles in. And some of the sessions, you know, I'd the ones when I'd done them before London, I'd had really fresh legs. Then when I was doing them in, for Seville, I was, you know, I'd had a really big week. But I kind of forgot to take that into account, which... You know, saying it saying it back now seems pretty obvious, but yeah, I think it's quite easy to kind of fall into that trap of just getting really fixated on the times for every session and every split and not taking into account kind of the bigger picture. And yeah, I got I you know I got to the end of the block and I and I felt great, but I definitely had had doubts because I felt that perhaps I was fitter before London than I than I was I was for Seville. But you know, obviously, Seville went really well. So, and and I got a over a two minute PV from 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 London. So, I think yeah, it was just a really good lesson to me to to not get too fixated on times and actually just look at the blockers around and also remember that the best block doesn't necessarily mean the best race and and vice versa. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was a good takeaway for me.
0: That's a really great point for people to appreciate because I'm sure other people can relate to that where you have an amazing training block and it doesn't go the way that you want to, but then you have an amazing race. But also like, I think this crucially is about, you talked about kind of losing the mojo and, and one of the things that kind of hit me when I went to Spain was just like, oh my gosh, it's like sunny and blue skies consistently. And then you forget like how much of an impact that has on you when you're back in the UK, when it's just, it's just gray.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think for me, it's the dark as well. Yeah, It's just, you know, I felt like over winter, it was just tri- every, you know, all my training sessions were in the dark and the cold. And it does, I think it does really get to you. I mean, I'm just also not a winter person. So <laughs> I don't go very well in it.
0: Yeah, but then obviously with COVID and people having restrictions and so many things happening is it does kind of create that kind of down that kind of sense of mirror and yeah going to Spain definitely lifted that and got you kind of back into the focus really
1: yeah definitely it's it does I mean the weather just makes a huge difference and I think also just kind of I appreciate being able to go on and go on a training camp like that is a is definitely a luxury but I think just kind of getting out of everyday life and being able to just focus on you know I was working out there as well but just to be able to focus on work and running and kind of nothing else was actually really good really good for me and kind of came at the right time.
0: Do you find having that balance between having both work and training at an elite level is a good thing as opposed to doing one or the other 100%?
1: Yeah I think of course, there are, you know, there are definitely times when it is tricky to balance it. My job, you know, I sometimes just work quite late hours and especially in winter with, you know, as we were just saying, having to train in the dark all the time because I'm working in the day. It is is—it is sometimes tricky, but I like having that kind of extra dimension. I'm not sure I would enjoy running as much as I do if it was the only thing that I had focus on I yeah so I kind of I kind of like having having that other focus and I think in a way it kind of takes the pressure off running a bit it's it's obviously you know my my I guess my kind of elite career has been so so sort of sudden and I've been doing it for very long so I'm still I guess I'm still getting used to it a bit and adapting to to being to running I guess being such a big part of my life but yeah I think I think having having work as well just I guess it allows me to be a bit more freer and a bit bolder with my running because I've kind of got work as a backup if that makes sense so yeah I've I've, I think it it works quite well for me at the moment (laughs)
0: Yeah, I hear what you're saying because on one hand you're saying it's still got its challenges, especially with work. There's deadlines, there's things that you have to meet. But at the same time, when running isn't your everything, then it's almost like you your eggs aren't in one basket. So you can at least spread it across other areas of your life, so to keep kind of more of a balanced view of yourself and how you view yourself.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think I think in a way it allows me to like push myself further in running. Because I'm I'm less afraid to take the risks.
0: Yeah. And you actually talk about risks and, and talk about dealing with fear and how you perceive that in one of your Instagram posts, which I want to kind of go on to, but I want to hold that, that thought. But I want to revisit it because I want to go back to the the questions from the guests. So Rose F asks, what is your post-training nutrition strategy and are carbs and protein important?
1: Um, yeah, definitely. I think, again, this is this is something that I've actually been fairly recently working with um, a great nutritionist, Andy Jones, who's has helped me a lot with both kind of race fueling and and post training nutrition. But yeah, I mean, absolutely crucial for recovery, especially when, you know, we, we do a session, then we've got to run the next day or do a double day. So yeah, recovery is is absolutely like as key as the actual training and I tend to just go for kind of a mixture of carbs and protein you know it depends I guess it depends like what time of day I'm training but I normally try and have you know if it's if I'm training in the morning then I'll I'll have like eggs on toast afterwards or you know some greek yogurt and berries and cereal or just just another big bowl of porridge but yeah I think anything with like a good mix of Mix of carbs and protein is a is a good bet.
0: Sounds good. And the question that we all want to know and Stuart asked this: What what was your favourite meal post race? Like, what did you have post uh, Seville?
1: A big pizza. (laughs) (laughs) It's so weird, like what you crave after a marathon. But yeah, went for a pizza (laughs) and an ice cream.
0: there's a good ice cream place i think by the cathedral wasn't there
1: oh there were so many good ice cream places Well yeah i think i uh i definitely went round on a bit of a gelato tour
0: <laughs> good stuff satonga asked this question and to be honest this question could be a podcast in itself it's a very broad question but i'm gonna ask you what technique can someone use to improve uh, their race pace
1: oh yeah that is a big question I think the key things really are, I guess the the key things that I've changed in my training since I was like running more recreationally and now is just getting in like the marathon pace sessions or the sessions kind of around marathon pace. And actually one of, one of my favorite sessions that we do is actually working like just above marathon pace. So we'll do like three by 5k and it will just, the 5k's will be a bit quicker than marathon pace. And it just it helps marathon pace feel a lot easier if that makes sense so i think yeah that's that's a really really good one to to get into into any marathon block and then the other one is track and kind of for the same reason like if you can you know do do a fairly big track session and be hitting some some pretty quick splits then it just makes marathon pace feel so much more kind of aerobically controlled I mean, track's kind of one of those things I, I have a real love-hate relationship with. <laughs> it doesn't come that naturally to me. But yeah, it does make it, it make kind of the aerobic capacity a lot better and marathon pace feel a lot more controlled and, and manageable.
0: It's really interesting you talk about that that session about the three times 5k and I've heard other elites talk about it either three times or the four times 5k. And is, is that around marathon pace or just above you said?
1: Yeah. So we normally, we normally do that one above marathon pace and aim to get quicker on each rep.
0: Okay. And do you do like long runs at like marathon pace at all?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we do. Not, not every long run. We, we do a mixture of sort of steady, steady state long runs and some with marathon pace blocks in. So I think the longest, the longest we've done is like 15 miles at marathon pace and then, you know, do some easy miles either side. So I think, you know, make it up to like 21, 22 miles. But yeah, again, that's that's one of, i say one of the biggest sessions we do and we normally do it kind of at the at the peak of the block, but it's a great test just to, you know, see, see how that marathon pace feels. I mean, I think the only thing with those sorts of sessions is you've just got to remember you're doing it on tired legs and so don't be surprised if it feels really hard and don't be surprised if you kind of get to the end of the 15 miles and like I could not do another mile at that phase because <laughs> that's how it's meant to feel but um but yeah I think like those are the sessions that I look back on and I I feel like they give me a good confidence boost for the race
0: absolutely and the thing you've got, you've got to factor in as well as you know it's a it's a recovery like you do those math marathon... and uh, long marathon runs say and then you've still got to factor in recovery for the following week to make sure you're still getting the quality in for your sessions
1: yeah yeah absolutely um yeah and you know I think I think fueling during those sessions is also is also really key to that just to make sure you can you can bounce back as quickly as possible
0: 100% and even in my experience as well, when I was doing like marathon pace work, I find that, especially with like working and family, it's definitely challenging. And I don't want to make it sound like an excuse and get my violin out here. But if you don't like get your sleep in and you're not eating correctly and doing all those little bits of stretching, it really has an impact on the future, well, the next week. And it's almost like you're playing catch up, it's such a, a difficult balance to get right
1: yeah yeah absolutely I mean yeah as you said I mean that it's all those little things that do really add up and and make the difference like the actual running is you know becomes quite almost a only half of it really
0: 100% and I know you spoke about some of the workouts that you did enjoy but some of the ones you probably enjoyed a little bit less you talked about the track stuff can you talk a little bit about that
1: yeah so I mean I track is yeah it's definitely one of those things that i i go through a complete emotional roller coaster with every track session <laughs> and i'll look forward to it and sort of the day before i'll be like right i'm i'm geared up for track i can do this and then just before i absolutely dread it i come up with every excuse possible why i shouldn't go to track and then of course i end up going to track and during it i just It's an absolute mental battle to to keep going and keep motivated. But I think it's, to be honest, I just feel like that it's such a different way of running, like that aerobic burn just doesn't come naturally to me. You know, I've never done, never really done kind of the shorter distance stuff. And it does just feel horrible. Like the lactate is horrible. And I feel like I'm so, I'm quite good at, dealing with kind of being in the marathon pain cave, <laughs> but I'm not good at dealing with the trap lactate. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, you know, I think it, then after the session, I kind of feel, I feel great and I can't wait for the next one. And I do definitely think it's really helped with, with my training and just, you know, improving my, my aerobic capacity. So I would, yeah, I would definitely, I sort of love track, but not at the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. And you always hear people saying, you know, to get quicker at the marathon, you got to work at the shorter distances, like 5Ks and things like that. And 5Ks hurt. That's not lie. Yeah. Live.
1: Yeah. yeah. And it's uh, just being able to kind of deal with that pain.
0: <laughs> yeah. But
1: it's good for you. <laughs>
0: yeah. 100%. People say it's only 5K, only 5K. It feels like an eternity. <laughs> yeah.
1: <a> 5K <laughs> pain from the go. <laughs>
0: yeah exactly you can literally just like you're saying you just got to go so final question for the audience jack asks what does it feel like to be ranked inside the top 10 fastest british females of all time
1: um completely nuts yeah i just i can't quite believe it i mean like just looking at that top 10 you know so many olympians in there and people have been to the world champs and like one london marathon and yeah then there's me it's crazy
0: (laughs) but you've earned it though so it must be great yeah i mean, it must be a weird feeling because i'm sure that's not your probably your a goals you're thinking when you're getting out the door to run but
1: yeah i mean honestly i'd never like i hadn't even considered it even when i knew i was going for 227 it didn't really occur to me that i could get inside the top 10 but yeah it's it's a crazy feeling and just i mean yeah just amazing that I'm kind of up there with with all these runners that have inspired me for for years
0: yeah and you've got your club mate as well Steph one place ahead of you as well that yeah. must be quite cool. That's,
1: that's very cool yeah yeah I mean we we train together quite a lot so yeah it's been you know it's been so so great training with her over the last year really and yeah so so just brilliant that we're kind of up there together
0: absolutely and like Phil obviously he's got like two two athletes in the top 10 as well <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah feels dominating the top 10 at the moment
0: <laughs> awesome so before we get into so the marathon which we've touched on upon obviously triathlon is an important part of like how you've come through the sport so can you talk about like how I guess with the cycling and the swimming like how you've transitioned into the marathon distance and maybe like what mental practices did you adopt and what did you have to let go
1: yeah so I think I mean when I was when I was doing triathlon it was again a lot more kind of recreational but I definitely think it helped me with I guess the volume of training it kind of prepared me for that because you know with triathlon you got the three three disciplines so actually a lot of the time I was training more than once in a day anyway when I was doing that you know you do swim and a bike or I, I never did double run days but but yeah I think just having being prepared to kind of train twice in a day and, and yeah, just the mixing up the kind of cross training has really helped as well. So yeah, I think it, I think it prepared me well. And I still do, you know, I still do quite a bit on the bike and less in the pool now, because to be honest, I hate swimming, <laughs> um, but I should do a bit more. But yeah, I still do quite a lot on the bike now. I, I, I love cycling and love getting out on my bike. Uh, when the weather's good um so yeah I think that's also really helped me like build up my build up my mileage slowly when I started with Phil and started marathon training I was yeah I was only doing about 40 miles a week so you just you just can't go from that to like 80 in in one go it's you just get horribly injured so that has cycling was When I first started, it was a big part of my training still. And, you know, gradually I've kind of cut down the cycling and increased my mileage, but it's definitely helped me get there.
0: Yeah, 100%. And a question I know people want to know, like what mileage should they run almost in comparison to like what you're running? And obviously it's two different subjects um, in a sense of like, we don't always appreciate like what you've done to get to there. Like you said, you've done the triathlon. There's a history of stuff that's happened before. So it's almost like quite impossible to translate one to the other. That's a very long build up to a question, which I haven't even asked yet. <laughs> so the question basically is, could you sort of talk about like how your mileage has changed basically from, I guess, like 304 to like now to, to Seville?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, to be honest, it's, it's just very individual. And there are so many different schools of thoughts on kind of how much mileage you should do as a marathon runner. And I don't, I don't think there's a there's a right or wrong answer. I mean, just looking at kind of, The people I train with, you know, people do such different things. Like Steph does really quite low mileage for a marathon runner, but she does loads of cross training. And, you know, that obviously works really well for her. And then, you know, other people are cracking out like consistent 100-mile weeks. So I think it's just really, really individual. But I have – I've just tried to basically steadily increase my mileage. I've been quite – conscious of not getting injured you know I just I've especially with you know I did Cheshire in April then London in October Seville in February so to be honest I just haven't there's been no time to to risk getting injured so yeah I've been I've been quite careful with my mileage but I have wanted to push it a bit each time so I started off yeah I started I was doing kind of 40 miles a week and then a lot of cross training. And I think for London, I was averaging about 70 miles a week. And again, adding, adding in fair bit of cross training. And then for Seville, I got up to about kind of 80, 85 miles a week and just a bit less cross training. So, you know, I actually, I feel like I've adapted pretty well to the higher mileage and I just, I really enjoy it. Like I, I quite like, I feel like I almost do better in sessions if I've done a run in the morning so i feel like i've adapted quite well to it to be honest but yeah it's it's really individual and some people you know just don't like doing that many miles and don't feel like they can perform as well in their sessions if if they've got kind of loads of slow miles in there as well
0: yeah i agree like you're saying it's individual and ultimately as an athlete as you progress you know what works well for you and what doesn't work well for you and there's that whole conversation with your coach as well i imagine
1: yeah yeah definitely and and as you say it's it's just testing it you know we we kind of agreed we just you know see how i go with higher mileage and if it doesn't work you go back to plan a <laughs> so yeah it's just about kind of not not being too afraid to just push push the boundaries a bit and, and try something new
0: i agree so I just want to go back to something you said in a recent Instagram post in regards to the training block for Seville. So you've spoken about the reasons why it was kind of, it was quite challenging, especially with COVID and the hamstring nickel, but you set a new year's resolution about being less afraid to fail. Can you talk a little bit about this and how you developed a mindset to just to fully commit to going for 227?
1: Yeah. So I think kind of failure generally is something that i've i've really had to kind of change my mindset on you know running can be a pretty brutal sport you know everyone has bad races everyone has bad training sessions and you've just got to kind of learn to use it in a constructive way and pick yourself up pretty quickly so i think you know i've i've tried to um I guess, yeah, be a lot more constructive about, about failure and also be just less afraid to take risks, be less afraid to fail. So they're kind of three, three areas that I guess I've focused on and one is like the perception of, of failure. This was from a book called The Brave Athlete, which I would definitely recommend to any runners, it's great. Um, and it's a very easy read as well so yeah it basically talks about how in modern times we're we're like overly afraid to fail because we're hardwired I guess from caveman times to be afraid of failure because it was you know it was basically life or death like you see a lion and you know you could kill it to get the food but you also might get eaten by it so you know we're hardwired to be like really afraid of failure but now you know in the modern day like it's the consequences just aren't just aren't that bad. It's very unlikely you're going to die. So it's I guess it's just kind of reframing reframing what your perspective is of of risk and you know what what is the worst case scenario. So like with racing, you know, if you if you really go for it and go to your what you think you might just be able to achieve. Okay, so the risk is you might blow up. But so what, like, what is the actual risk then? No one cares apart from you, to be honest. You know, you think that everyone's going to judge you or, you know, it's going to, especially, I think, especially with social media, you know, it can be so public, but actually like no one cares. And what's the, I guess what's the other way that you could go is not take the risk and be really conservative, but then, you know, you haven't pushed yourself to the absolute limit. And is that, you know how how is that going to make you feel yeah that's kind of one mindset that i've i've really been working on with races and yeah and I, as you say it was it was my new year goal to kind of work on that so it was a big test because in london i was 15 seconds off the world's time so it was pretty painful and you know the world the world standard has just been such a big goal for me so there was such a big part of me in Seville that was just like, especially given the pretty rocky training block. And, you know, as I said, i had quite a few doubts about the race anyway. So there was a huge devil on my shoulder saying like, just go for the world standard. You know, it's, it's an incredible time. It's still a PB. And that's all I really want. Like all I want is the world standard. But deep down, I guess I knew I had a lot more to give. I knew I was in better shape than that. And... I knew that going for two twenty nine thirty wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't be giving my all. Like it wouldn't be my hundred percent. And yeah, and how would I feel if I did that? You know, I, I I'm not sure I would feel like I've really succeeded. And you know, if I if I really think about my goal, it's you know to give a hundred percent in a race. So I'm not sure I would have achieved my goal if I had gone more conservative. So yeah that was that was really where I decided I think on with Seville I was I was on the fence for a while but I was like no I've got to I've got to do it and I've got to go for you know go for broke and see what happens <laughs> and um just you know not be afraid to not hit the time because so what at least I've given it my all
0: Absolutely no thank you for sharing that there's so much in there that I really want to kind of go back to but the thing that kind of stuck in my head was that obviously, you know, you've got that goal of 227 and you go all in, you achieve it. And I think in that process, you kind of learn to kind of fear less, like you're saying, because like, what's the worst that happens? And now you've achieved it. Kind of what does that motivation look like for the next race? Now you've got that 227 goal off your back. Does that allow you to kind of fear less and go more in? What does that look like?
1: Yeah I think it definitely does you know I still I still feel like I've got a lot more to give over the marathon you know really it's only I'm so early on in my career I've only done three so I think you know people who have done 20 marathons are still learning a lot but yeah I definitely feel still feel like I've got a lot more to give and I guess that's the other thing with the marathon it's just you know 26.2 miles is a long way and You're never going to have a completely perfect race. So there were always things that are going to have gone well and things that you kind of come away thinking you can improve on. But that's a great position to be in, really. You know, it's nice to know that there's still, like, so much work that you can do to to get quicker. But, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, overall Seville was a really good confidence boost for me. It was, I guess, a big, like, breakthrough Smashing the world's time and and getting on the getting on the top ten, so I think it was good like, good validation and I guess a, just a a great lesson to like believe in myself and and take the risk and go for it.
0: Absolutely, and I feel a bit bad asking that question because I feel like you just achieved a massive thing, and I'm always being like, okay, what's next? You're just like, hold a second, let me just like enjoy what I've achieved first of all.
1: <laughs> oh no, I'm I'm always on to the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> good
0: stuff. So, I just want to go back to the marathon itself, and I'm sure people are curious about this. What does the final forty-eight, twenty-four hours look like for an elite athlete approaching a marathon?
1: It's so we from well for London and Seville, we were um, in in an elite hotel, which is always a kind of quite weird experience. But yeah, I guess last forty-eight, twenty-four hours, not a lot really. And that's almost the hardest thing. You know, in Seville, we were, the elite hotel was like five five kilometers outside of town and there wasn't a hell of a lot to do there. So it's almost just a challenge to keep yourself occupied and not like think about it too much. We did, you know, the, there's, there's also like quite a lot of admin before the race, like the, there's elite briefings and you have to get your kit checked so yeah there's there's always quite a lot of like admin involved and then yeah just i guess staying relaxed and trying to keep yourself entertained and having having some good carbs as well
0: do you know it's probably a good thing because like i was five ten minutes away from the start line and the worst thing is like when you go out to get your dinner you see that's when everyone else is going out and everyone else is having a good time drinking and eating. You're just like, I do not need to see this. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's true. At least in the League Hotel, there is, there is no boozing and no partying before the marathon.
0: <laughs> exactly. And it's a different culture of life, isn't it? Because obviously you've got the siestas and everyone goes out for dinner late on. So it's just like...
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, even in the hotel, like you couldn't get dinner before 7.30, which is obviously very early in Spain, but yeah. but there were us Brits wanting to, you know, be there at six.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. Okay. So I want to move to the race itself. So I understand that there was an issue as well with the group behind the elite encroaching into your pen. So I can imagine like when you started, it must've been like a herd of animals just going for it in the first few Ks. So what was that like?
1: Oh my God. Yeah. I felt like I was in the bull run. It was nuts. (laughs) I just, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know whether that was planned or not, but it was an absolute crush at the start. I mean, like the first kind of few rows of people were like over the start line because they were just, you know, you just couldn't, couldn't move the crowds back. So yeah, it was a pretty, pretty crazy start. It was kind of a bit of a stressful, like first one or two k because i was just so worried about getting clipped and absolutely stacking it but yeah luckily luckily it stayed on my feet and to be fair after about one k it, it did spread out a bit but yeah it's probably the most um stressful elite start i've ever had
0: <laughs> yeah it doesn't help you're just trying to get in your moment and then you've got all that happening so it's just like you're saying you've just got to try to control what you can which is is isn't easy
1: yeah yeah exactly just keep calm
0: absolutely keep calm and carry on like a difficult British <laughs> thing to do anyways and I'm really interested to know this as well because pre-race we've all got our ideas of how our race strategy is going to go but then the gun goes off like what is that switch in your mind what does that look like between okay I've got to do this at certain points to just go
1: yeah it is that is it's funny like you've planned so much about the race and then when you're in the moment it's actually so hard to kind of remember what what you planned. I mean, even nutrition strategy. So I kind of had my nutrition strategy completely planned out. And it's actually so hard to remember it when you're, when you're in that moment, yeah. you know, I was getting to each shop and I was like, what's I meant to have a gel here or a drink? And then you're like, Oh, well, whatever. I'll just, I'll just have everything. <laughs> and yeah, it is, it is really hard. And I think, you know, I have also like, i tried to prepare so well for those, those last few miles and I think like in London I felt like the last 10k somehow really caught me out like I wasn't very mentally prepared for it so that was actually one thing like coming into Seville I was like I really need to be mentally prepared for that last 10k and I had so many strategies to to deal with it and I I wrote them down the day before anyway the things that I thought of in that last ten k to get me through were completely different. Like nothing I had planned. So it's funny. It's just um, yeah, it all seems to completely go out of the out of the window, and it you just the race the race kind of mode takes over.
0: It's funny though. Like you have the most weird thoughts. You like you almost hope that someone takes you out in the last ten k. That you don't have to <laughs> yeah it, okay, and it doesn't happen you're just running by yourself and like someone anyone
1: <laughs> yeah yeah oh it's so yeah that that last bit yeah you were just hoping that you know some just someone cancels the race <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's really interesting you talk about that because I, I imagine it's about sharing the exact details but i guess it's cool because you prepare for all these things happening and it's almost like you're prepared to kind of deal with things as they occur and that's still a good thing whether regardless of if they happen or not
1: yeah yeah definitely I think yeah that's exactly it if you if you're kind of prepared for every scenario then at least you go into it kind of knowing you can you can deal with it so you know big it's just it's funny about it's funny kind of the things that you worry about before a race like I'm always touch wood I have I think I have a pretty strong stomach but I'm always just so worried about like my stomach hurting in a race. I don't know why. I guess it's just such a common problem. But, you know, that's that's always something I go like, go over and over and over. And nutrition as well. I'm like, well, what if I miss a drink? You know, what am I going to do? And, you know, in, in the race, I, I don't think I worried about that at all. So it is funny kind of the things that you worry about and then the things that just don't matter at all when you're running.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I was speaking to Philly. And she was saying that the women's elite drinks tables were on the off the race line, like to the left, and the men's were close to the race line. Did you find that as well?
1: Yeah, I think, I think they were. I mean, it was quite good. I guess, you know, someone, it was quite good to having them separate because otherwise it would have been absolute chaos. And I guess someone had to be on the left and someone had to be on the right. So I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure why it was that way around. But I think... Yeah, I think it, we did have to veer off quite a lot, but I, I guess it's the only way they can really do it. And it's you wouldn't have wanted any more drinks on those tables. It was already like a every table I get like so stressed before. It's like, can I see my drink? <laughs> Some people had really good like flags on them and everything. I I need to get on that.
0: What did you put on yours? Like uh, flowers or flags or?
1: No, I just I just put tape round it. But, yeah, I need to um, up, up my bottle game. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's difficult to see, is it? It's like uh, when you get, get your suitcase at the airport, it's like, I've got the blue suitcase. Okay, <laughs> yeah, <Blue> suitcases.
1: <laughs> yeah, and also just grabbing it at that speed. Is, <laughs> you know, it's, you've got to be pretty accurate.
0: <laughs> 100%. So let's jump into the race. I know we spoke about the start, but can you take us through from start to the end?
1: Yeah, so I think, I mean, to be honest, the race was kind of in two two halves for me there was like naught to about 34k and then for 34k to the end naught to 34k was great um and yeah I was just I was like really enjoying it I was having a great day out and I think you know obviously it really helped having Matt and Nick there I train with them and you know like they're really good friends so it was just it was honestly just so much fun having them there. And just, I think just like being able, having someone that you 100% trust is, yeah, it was it was incredible. And it just, it kind of just felt like a normal weekend session. So yeah, I was, I had a great time in up to like the last kind of 8K to go, I was feeling great. Like the pace felt really good. I don't think I really had any like, major dips in that bit at all. The nutrition plan went well. I was getting like drinks and gels at every station. So yeah, felt felt really good. And then I remember it, like it was kind of 7, 8k to go. I was like, oh this is this is really starting to hurt. And then at the 6k mark I was like, I cannot believe I've got 6k to go. This is going to be so painful. <laughs> and it's amazing. It just you know f- switches so quickly. And, yeah, I mean, the six, the last 6K were, were really painful. I think it also didn't help that – I don't know if I was just noticing it more because I was knackered, but, like, there seemed to be quite a lot of cobblestones and corners and, you know, going around Plaza de España, which was a tight semicircle, just everything seemed to hurt so much. Um, and then at, like, 37.5K, it also – by that stage, it was kind of getting quite hot. So – and it it just again it seemed to hit me really suddenly. I was like absolutely fine. Then I was like, I'm really hot. And I actually took a took a cup of they had all the water in cups and I took one to throw over me. Apart from it wasn't water, it was Gatorade. Oh, so no. <laughs> I literally chucked Gatorade in my own face. <laughs> <laughs> at like 37 and a half gay and I let out this like little squeak and Matt turned around and he was like you're okay you can keep going I was like I've got so much Gatorade in my eyes <laughs> and like I was just so sticky for the rest of the race it was disgusting so um <laughs> that was another low moment <laughs> for me <laughs> but yeah I think like oh those yeah those last few k like really hurt <laughs> And then at the end, they seem to have like so many banners that I kept thinking with the finish line. And I was like, where is the finish line? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what is it going to end? Uh...
1: Yeah. But yeah, I think that's just the marathon for you, isn't it? It's always the race like starts at 10k to go. <laughs> yeah,
0: 100%. And there's so much in there, what you kind of said that the last six hertz, and like I'm saying, the Plaza de España. We talked about offline how unenjoyable that whole experience was. Surely they could Ugh. have found like 700 meters somewhere else.
1: Oh, I know, and yeah, I mean, I get it. It's, it's nice for the crowds, but definitely not nice for the runners.
0: <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, hundred And when you know the last sort of six k, you know everything's hurting. You know, you chuck that bit of a uh, Gatorade in your face, and you're like, "Damn, <laughs> what, was that, what was that sort of process like? My legs hurt. Arms oh, got Gatorade in my eye. I'm sticky. What like? What was that? What was that like?
1: I mean, I think at that point, like, it's just the stage when all the mantras come out, like all the kind of mental toughness tactics that you've practiced come out and you just throw throw everything at at yourself and kind of see see what can get you through. I mean, I can't, like, I, I can't even really remember what I was thinking about. But, you know, just focusing on, like, the world standard, I think you know, I promised myself I'd never have to run again. And then the next moment I was, you know, thinking about, like, everyone who got me to this point and, you know, do it for them. There were just like so many mantras, tactics, everything that come out of that stage <laughs> from, from you know, motivational to like, I hate this and I've just got to get to the end.
0: <laughs> 100%. And I don't know if it's the same for you, but it feels like in those moments that although you could hear the crowds, it, it goes really silent and it's yeah. just like a tunnel vision. Like it's just all like a real blur but you you feel yourself, your legs turning over in real time, but everything else is just like happening really slowly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, apparently so many people were cheering cheering me then, but I literally have like no recollection of it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for taking us through the race. And one thing that I wanted to touch upon and you spoke about earlier in was talking about the idea of how we view failures, and for me it 's really important to kind of reframe how we we look at it and you really sort of explained it beforehand, so thank you for providing a couple of talking points that we're going to jump into so the first one was the perspective of failure versus risk
1: yeah, so I think you know this is this is really what I, what I was talking about earlier with Seville and the targets and and just I guess having the courage to 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 go for it and and take the risk and I suppose almost see see the risk as an opportunity rather than a risk if that makes sense because you know it's I guess it's having perspective on like what is the worst case scenario like what if it doesn't work out okay so yeah it doesn't work out but you've given it your best shot and like is you know that's not a failure that is a success because you've you've Given it your best shot and you've done everything you can. And then you just like learn, learn from that and use it in a constructive way. So, yeah, I think, you know, both in training and racing, that's definitely something I've been focused, in, focused on. I think training, you know, it's my, my has set some really crazy sessions. And there are so many times where I'm like, there's no way I can do that. But I've just had to, that's another kind of big area where I've just had to reframe it and be like, actually just give it a shot. And, you know, I might not finish the session, but at least I tried and, you know, I'm still going to have done a lot of good work in that session and I will eventually get there. You know, I will eventually be able to do that session, but I've got to kind of give it a crack to get there and, and not be afraid if, <laughs> if I don't finish it or, you know, if it, it I don't hit the the times I want to.
0: It's really interesting when you get those workouts with your coach, and you look at them. You're thinking, "Are, are they for real?" And then it's, it's like that process is like, "Do I call my coach to try to work my way out of this this workout?" <laughs> <just gonna> <laughs> like, no. Let's do it.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and you know that kind of ties into like it's. I, I actually, when when I first started with Phil, I went through like a really bad phase of. um I, I was just really bad at this. Like I'd, I'd get my my target times. And if I didn't hit them, I'd quit. I'd stop, like I'd get in such a strop about it. I'd be so upset that I didn't hit my target times that I would just like stop in the session. And I remember that I, there, were, there were so many sessions that I would give up on. And, you know, obviously that, <laughs> I knew this wasn't helpful. <laughs> I knew I wouldn't be getting any hit, any fitter. And, you know, I'd never be able to hit the splits if I don't put in the work. But I think I was just like so, so um, tied up in like trying to hit the times. Even you know, even if deep down I kind of knew they were unrealistic for me at that stage. And um, you know, Phil Phil says like he he sets these crazy targets because like in his head it's like one day you will be able to run this, <laughs> but you just kind of got to keep keep that in your mind and keep it in perspective. Um, but yeah, I you know I used to I used to go through so many sessions where I just wouldn't finish them and I've really had to like reframe my expectation in sessions so now I go into sessions and my goal is just to give it 100% try my hardest and also just like be a positive influence on everyone else and that's actually really helped me because it's just you know I, I if I don't hit my splits then you know, as long as I've tried my best and then, then that's fine. And I actually, you know, I enjoy the, I enjoy the training more. Um, I'm, and I'm, you know, still showing up, like I'm putting the work in and I've like helped other train others in the training session too. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of one thing I've, I've worked on a lot in, in training as well as racing with, um, with like mindset and, and dealing with like not hitting, not hitting your targets.
0: I think it's really important when you mention about the influence that you have on your training partners. And I'm not quite sure if this is something that you can relate to as well. But say if I'm out of training partners and you've got to run and you're in a, in a tough section or in a race, I'm always conscious not to vocalise unhealthy thoughts because I don't want it to become an actual thing and it, for them to affect them. So if I say anything, I always try to keep it like as healthy or as positive as possible. Obviously, not always going to be like high-fiving and, you know, clicking your heels but I just try to keep anything unhealthy kind of not out there if that makes sense
1: yeah yeah I mean 100% I think that's so important especially in races because you know you're basically like I feel like any kind of negative thought in races is just going to infiltrate you know your your body is basically telling you to stop like you just have to try your hardest to keep any negative thoughts out. Um, and that that in itself is is hard enough. So if you've got someone else doing it, then, you know, that, that really doesn't help you. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. It's just, you know, we've all been there when you in a training session and people are moaning and saying, oh, this is such a rubbish session. Like, it's so hard. And you do, it does like affect your mindset as well. And then on the flip side, like, you know, everyone... I'm so lucky everyone in my training group is is so great and there have been so many times when you know <laughs> mainly on track I'm feeling really sorry for myself <laughs> and then the other guys will be there like right come on we've got like four reps to go we can do this and you know it gets me through and I'm like right okay yeah pull yourself together you got four reps we can do this <laughs> so yeah it's um I think you know Surrounding yourself with like people who are who are positive and also being that positive person, like I feel like if i sometimes when i'm when I'm feeling rubbish in a session, I'll actually like encouraging others kind of helps me feel feel better you know it's almost like i'm I'm kind of talking to myself and convincing myself I can do it as as well as everyone
0: else yeah, I could totally relate to that because in Seville, I was running with a mate and Every so often I would ask him, how are you doing? Are you feeling good? Great? You know, or say something along those lines. Even though I didn't feel great myself, I think by trying to be that for someone else, it does rub off on you as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. And just vocalising it, just being like, yes, I feel great. as You know, you kind of convincing yourself somehow.
0: <laughs> Agreed. Before we go into the last way that we view failure i just want to go back to the race actually did you notice uh, mark told me this spark heard he said that there was a rocket about 4k into it 4 5k into the race and i'm like surely there wasn't a rocket there but then when i look back at it it was there so i'm like how did i miss a rocket in a spanish city i just don't get it
1: yeah i didn't notice that either no, no recollection of that.
0: <laughs> you know, I I feel I feel better that you didn't see it as well. I mean, I've had people that have run Boston as well tell me that they've not seen the, the city go sign as well at the end. So sometimes yeah. if you're in the moment, you could you just can miss these things.
1: I I honestly couldn't tell you where I ran in Seville. Apart from the Plaza de España, I remember that bit, but apart from that I I could not tell you where I went. <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. Say it was just like, why am I here? <laughs> you looking around. Yeah. But it's a beautiful place. So when you go for like you know tourism and that kind of stuff, yeah. it's used for Star Wars as well. So it's it's a great place.
1: Yeah, it was. It was beautiful when I wasn't running a marathon.
0: <laughs> Absolutely agreed. So the final thing was uh, focusing on the right things. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I think this. Yeah, it. You know, it's very easy. I think to focus on the negatives and I guess like breeze over the winds. And yeah, I mean, like prime example was was London Marathon for me. And, you know, I ran I ran a PB by over a minute. Bearing in my, mind like my, my other marathon was was only April. So it wasn't it wasn't that that much far that much before London. Um and I came second Brit. But I honestly was like completely crushed at the end because all I could think about was Oh my God, I've missed the world target by the world standard by 15 seconds, like just 15 seconds. (laughs) And all that was going through my head was like, I've let everyone down. You know, the world standard was my target. Like my coach had set that and I wanted to get it. You know, I wanted to show him that like the training had worked and, you know, in my head, like 15 seconds, I was like, why couldn't I have just dug a little deeper? Like, why couldn't I have got those 15 seconds? and yeah that that was kind of like all I could think about at the end, but when I had a bit of time to i guess decompress and speak to everyone, of course, like no one else around me thought that way, like my coach, everyone who supported me they were they they'd just seen that I'd got big p b and you know it was it was quite con- tough conditions in London, like I was by myself for a lot of the race, um it was pretty windy in the second half. Um, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the, the easiest, the easiest second half by any means. And, you know, they just saw that I've got a PB and I come second Brit, like, you know, it was my second elite marathon. So they were, you know, everyone thought it was brilliant, but I kind of almost forgot those details because I was just so focused on the fact that it, you know, missed missed the world standard. So, yeah, I think after I kind of digested all of that. My real takeaway was like, actually, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad race at all. It was actually a great race. Like sure. I missed my target, but you know, there were a lot of positives to it. And you know, the other things I just learned a lot from it, you know, I learned a lot about that last, that last section. And, you know, I was sure I was by myself, but next time, you know, I could be more prepared to be by myself might happen again. I mean, it probably will. So, you know, I think it was just about reframing all of those, like those things I thought of as negatives. It's just kind of building blocks for the next bit. And and also just allowing yourself to like celebrate the wins, even if there are some some bits that like you don't consider a a win necessarily.
0: I think it's really powerful because I think is kind of a lot of A-type people can relate to you know you want to do certain things you know you're ambitious you've got goals but the thing about running and marathon running you know there's no perfect race and it humbles all of us you know we probably take more losses than people would probably see you know from the the race day itself you know so it's like really important like you're saying being able to kind of reframe your thoughts it's that you're still like wanting to go for it you know that never goes yeah. but being kind to yourself and what that means
1: yeah exactly yeah I celebrate celebrate the wins but I think like let the rest of it fuel the fire
0: 100% I'd like the fire never goes I mean like you're saying yeah
1: keeps burning
0: 100% so in terms of like the fire keeping burning like obviously you want to enjoy what you've just done but what's next for you in terms of races
1: so I think, well, to be honest, it really depends on on what I get selected for. I I really hope I'm in I'm in for a chance of getting a place in one of the summer champs this year. So there's there's the Commonwealth Games, there's the European Championships, and the World Championships within the space of like six weeks. So so yeah, I mean, I'm really hoping I get selected for one of those. Um, obviously I've got got the standard for all of them. But um yeah, it's it's all in the hands of the selectors, which yeah, who knows, who knows what will happen. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully a place in one of those, which would be just like a dream come true, either Commonwealth or or a GB vest would just be incredible. So that's that's basically like summer plans sorted if if I get that. And then I don't know after that, I think. You know, I still, I'm still definitely going to be chasing, chasing the marathon time down, but I'd also like to do a bit more on the, on the like 10K, 5K. I mean, I'm not quite sure like how competitive I'll be at it, but I kind of just want to give it a crack and I think, you know, it would help. It'll probably help my marathon as well. And I've never really done I mean, I've I've done a couple of 10Ks, but I've never really actually trained for them. Like I've always done them in a marathon block. So I quite like the idea of just kind of seeing, seeing how, how quick I can get if I actually train for one.
0: And the thing is, it's on your doorstep really, Battersea Park, like there's so many 5K, 10K races coming up over the summer. So it's almost like, it's almost there to go for, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, it's such a good loop.
0: One of my mates was sending me the upcoming schedules for some races. So it's just like, it's very tempting. But like we were saying offline that, you know, 5Ks do hurt.
1: <laughs> they really do. <laughs> yeah, they really do. Yeah, Battersea Park great. I just, I think I struggle racing there sometimes because I train there so much. So I always yeah. like struggle to get in the racing mode.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, if it's, yeah, part of your just every day, it's hard to kind of switch that. To make that switch between
1: yeah I know that loop so well
0: <laughs> yeah I think quite a few people definitely do as well it's a good place to run for sure so obviously we've spoken about you know working to different you know uh, speeds and different races and what's coming up but how do you keep the joy in your running
1: I mean I just love it <laughs> I just love running I think like having a group makes a huge difference and having a coach I think just like the structure I love the structure to it um and obviously my my coach gives me that with with my training plan and like having having like the micro goals to work towards as well like I'm I feel like I'm a very like goal orientated person (laughs) so I've always got like something that I'm working towards but yeah I think I kind of love that side of it and just just you know seeing how how far I can push myself and then there's like the group just makes it so much fun like it's all our sessions we get on so well and push each other and encourage each other and you know they're all like such inspiring people I run with it's it's awesome you know I love like looking around me on training sessions I'm like wow these people are so so inspiring so yeah I mean I think that has like having that support network and and you know basically every training session is like hanging out with my friends so it's great
0: (laughs) I think yeah the team is so important I know Elliot Kachoga said it as well about like how important the team is to him so if it works for the best I mean you're kind of almost missing a step um, by not training other people obviously COVID has made it a bit challenging but I can relate to that I mean when you're with other people it keeps you accountable and you like you're saying you're inspired by each other you push each other you celebrate each other's successes you pick each other up when they need to be picked up so
1: yeah, exactly. And it's just, you know, it's just also like having people who go through the go through the same thing. So when you've had a rubbish session, you can talk about it and, you know, you talk about it and feel so much better because they're like, oh, yeah, well, I had a rubbish session the other day. So, you know, it's just like having that having that support and and being able to kind of talk about all the highs and all the lows is um is, yeah, it's brilliant.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's funny, though, when you tell people about that because they might say back to you, but you look so good. And it's like, what am I supposed to be doing? Like dragging my leg? (laughs) 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 Like, I don't know what. You
1: know what? I actually, I hate it when people say that when I'm running. They're like, you look great. I'm like, no, I don't. I look terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell me that. I know what I look like.
0: (laughs) totally agree, to be honest. Um, And probably when you, you smack yourself with the Gatorade, you're probably thinking, see... This is not what
1: I'm right now. definitely don't look good right now
0: <laughs> I appreciate you've probably been given loads of different pieces of advice and but what kind of sticks out in your head is some of the best piece of advice that you've received in your running careers to date
1: um oh I think consistency is key that's that's kind of one thing that like has been you know a home to me so many times but I think I think it's just so true it's just about like showing up every time even when you don't want to and I think you know both in both in like the physical side of it just keeping that consistency is yeah it it's so key to to getting fit um but also just like the mental resilience and mindset of just showing up when you really don't want to is yeah I think I think that's kind of the difference between like hitting those those big goals and and not it's just kind of having having that mindset that you you show up every time.
0: That's a really interesting point because like sometimes not saying you personally but I've heard other people as well they they can kind of think why am I doing this or whatever and it's just like sometimes then you kind of move away from the kind of things like you elected to do this. It's something you enjoy to do. It's you know up to a point. Not everyone enjoys getting up in the early mornings and doing certain things, but like you've always got to remember why you enjoy running and what the purpose is for, and it helps you kind of spin back to it's cold or it's a late session or it's a track session or you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, don't get me wrong, like I have all those thoughts too. <laughs> like I have so many times when I'm like, oh, like what can I do to get out of the session? Really don't want to go, like, why am I doing this? You know, I could just be a casual five K park runner and never have to go do these horrible training sessions in the dark. But yeah, I think, you know, that's that's when like having a coach is is such a game changer and just that accountability of like, well, if I don't go, then I've got to call Phil and make up an excuse and tell him why I'm not going. <laughs> and that is a big enough stick to, to make me show up to training. <laughs> and then, of course, when you're there, it's like, great. And and you get into it.
0: Absolutely. And you're thinking like, as well, like, there's no excuse that I can probably give to him. that's going to be like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds reasonable. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, no excuses. <laughs>
0: it's funny though you say that because even in races I'm sure you've had as well like even for me when I was in Seville you have sometimes the most irrational thoughts in your mind I was thinking at the last probably a few miles what if I just stop and hide no one will know I was like but <laughs> like, you will know yeah. <laughs> <Keep
1: going. laughs> you gotta get across that finish line somehow
0: <laughs> yeah I'm probably missing lots of swearing but I will obviously try to keep it clean for the podcast as well so, uh, <laughs> but it's been great talking to you. um Final thing is, how can people follow your journey and support you?
1: Instagram is the best way. I am rosy.runs on Instagram. So, yeah, share quite a bit on there.
0: Awesome. Rosie, it's been a pleasure talking to you on A Runner's Life podcast. Thank you for speaking with me.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of A Runner's Life. If you found value in this episode and you want to support the show, please share with your community post on your social media channels and encourage them to listen and subscribe. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash A Runner's Life. If you want to get updates on the podcast or you want to see what I'm up to, you can follow me on Instagram at A Runner's Life underscore podcast and at The Marathon Marcus. Your time is valuable, so thank you for spending your time listening to this episode of a Runner's Life podcast.